0: You're listening to a podcast from Riverview Church in Bowness recorded during one of our Sunday gatherings. For more information about Riverview Church or service times or contact details go to riverviewchurch.uk or find us on Facebook at Riverview Bowness. I'd like to follow on from Tom's message last week and we're going to look at the miracle of conversion this morning. So we're in Acts chapter 9, which tells us a little bit. I'd like to read that passage through before I start this morning. Acts 9. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked for the letters to be of the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether they be men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. They heard the sound but didn't see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus there was a disciple named Ananias. And the Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street, But the Lord said to Ananias, go, this man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before people, the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized and after taking some food, he regained his strength. May God bless the reading of his own precious word this morning. If we were to rate the chances of Saul ever coming to know Christ, of Saul ever being converted, I don't know about you, but if I didn't know the end of the story, I would say, no very good. The chances they are rogue like that, ever coming to know Jesus as Lord and Saviour, then you would say, the chances are they looking very good. In fact, you would probably avoid them like the plague. But um, that was such, that was the life of Saul. His background didn't look good. Consider the state of his mind. Luke has already mentioned him three times. And on every occasion, he is as hard and as bitter an opponent of the Lord Jesus and his growing church as ever. At Stephen's martyrdom, the witnesses laid their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. And Saul was there giving approval to his death. And then again Saul began to destroy the church in chapter 8 verse 3 making house to house search for Christians dragging men and women off to prison. Luke further resumes this Saul he was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples in the chapter we have just read together. In other words Saul had not mellowed or changed his opinion in any way. He was still in a desperate state of hatred and hostility. But thank God this morning, no matter what state we are in, salvation is of the Lord. Isn't that wonderful this morning? If you've got somebody that you know that you're praying for, perhaps been praying for for many years, don't give up. God is still the God of salvation. And there is nothing too difficult for him. We rightly sing, don't we, I have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back, no turning back. But friends, long before we have reached that stage, when we honestly look back over our lives, we see that the Lord Jesus has been chasing way after us long before we ever made a decision. Yes. Yes. And if you're here this morning and you don't yet know Jesus, can I tell you he's on your case. Amen indeed. Amen. Yes. Keep it on. There are some difficult suddenlies um, as we go through this. If you'll forgive me taking a little bit of time on this this morning, Vicky was saying that Rudy started to walk this week. So there's a suddenly for you. And I said to Vicky, Well, when they start walking, we start running. I can say that as an authoritative grandfather when our grandson Rudy comes along for us to look after. Significant suddenlies in our lives. Walking's one of them, isn't it? My goodness. Jesus' ascension in Acts 1 and he, Jesus, was taken up before their eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. When suddenly two men dressed in white stood be- beside them. Why? This same Jesus who was taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him going into heaven. So we see the activity and the expression of heaven. Remember good old Jacob? Jacob wanted an inheritance but God did something far greater for him. He, gave, he showed him a ladder up to heaven and on that ladder there was activity. There was the ascension and descension of angelic activity. There's two Psalms that give us a lovely picture of the marvel of the conquering king. The disciples stood there, I would be the same dumbfounded as Jesus went up from the Mount of Olives. Psalm 47 says, Now our God has ascended in the midst of shouts of joy, the Lord among the trumpet sound. Sing praises to God, sing praises to the King, for the kings of all the earth belong to God and he is highly exalted. Psalm 2 says, Why do the nations conspire and people's plot in vain. The kings of the earth take their stand and rulers together against his anointed. Let us break their chains, they say, and throw off their fetters. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. There you are. The one in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at him. Then he rebukes them in his anger, testifies them in his wrath, saying, I will proclaim the decree of the Lord. I have installed my king on Zion, my holy hill. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your inheritance, the end of the earth, your possession. So your glorious king has ascended. He he arrived at the right hand of the Father, and he is receiving the glory and the adoration that he is due. I think Graham Kendrick wrote a song. I was listening to it just recently. And he has this chorus that comes at the end of it. He says that the lamb who was slain might receive the reward. Might receive the reward for his suffering. And Jesus is receiving the reward for his suffering right up to this present time. And many souls are being delivered out of darkness, out of death and out of demon possession. Christ is calling the nations and raising up a people to himself. That the lamb who was slain might receive the reward, might receive the reward for his suffering. We sing, he is coming on the clouds. Kings and kingdoms will bound down and every chain will break as broken hearts declare his praise. Who can stop the Lord Almighty? Our God is a lion, the lion of Judah. He's roaring with power. And fighting our battles. And every knee will bow before you. Our God is the lamb. The lamb who was slain. For the sins of the world. His blood breaks the chains. And every knee will bow. Before the lion and the lamb. Oh every knee. Will bow before him. In Acts 2. There's another suddenly. A sound like the blowing. Of a mighty wind. Came from heaven. So you see Jesus going to heaven and and you see here the sound from heaven coming indeed from heaven. The third one in Acts 8 says, when Philip and the eunuch came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord, here it is again, suddenly took Philip away. The eunuch went on his way rejoicing. No surprises there, is there? My experience of being converted, of coming to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, was one of tremendous joy. When I got up the next morning, I knew that I was a new creature in Christ. Jesus said, "The God's word says, that if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new. And sometimes when we get so caught up with the argument, with trying to find uh, the right argument that will pierce the opposition, we tend to forget That conversion, that salvation, is predominantly about joy. It's when Jesus comes into our hearts and sets us free, there is tremendous joy. And we don't say that enough. If you don't know Christ this morning, you're missing out on the wonderful joy that salvation brings. Look at uh, Luke. I've used Luke quite a lot in the talks because obviously he's the author of the book of Acts. And we can go to Luke and get a lovely picture Of what was going on in the heart of the Ethiopian eunuch. Lost sheep. It describes this. When he finds the lost sheep. He joyfully puts it on his shoulders. And goes home. There's the lost sheep. Secondly in Luke 15. There's the lost coin. And he says rejoice with me. I've found my lost coin. You see the joy. And then thirdly the lost son. We have to celebrate and be glad, the Father says. Because this brother of yours, he was dead and he is alive again. He was lost and he is found. He took my sins and my sorrows, he made them his very own. He bore the burden to Calvary and suffered and died alone. How marvelous, how wonderful. And my song shall ever be how marvelous. How wonderful is my Savior's love for me. Oh, friends, there's something about when we are saved, Jesus fills our hearts with such joy and such appreciation. Sometimes I wish I could turn the clock back. You know, it's like a honeymoon time for me. Evelyn didn't find the same experience, but for me, it was tremendous to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. It was the most wonderful event in my life. Suddenly, Jesus comes in to her heart and to her life. Evelyn and I were at a a funeral this week of one of my cousins, who was a Salvation Army officer in Glasgow. And during the course of the reception that we had there, as we were chatting together, um, I used to play in the the Salvation Army band, and I played the euphonium um, in the band. And As we were chatting, this lady says, well, she called over her husband and her husband came over. I didn't really recognize, I could vaguely recognize him, but he was my bandmaster when I was in the Partik Salvation Army Corps when I was just a young boy, probably only about eight or ten years of age. But he was the bandmaster and it was through a Salvation Army song that God put the hook in my life. Because I worked beside a friend who had connections with the Salvation Army. And as he was whistling this song, I knew the euphonium part. And of course, I started to whistle along with the the hymn that they were singing. Um, It's gone from my mind right now, by the way. But I, I knew the euphonium part. And Alan Moody came up to me, he says, how is it you know that song? I said, well, I used to be in the Salvation Army. I used to play the euphonium, and that was the euphonium part that I was whistling back. And he challenged me, and he said, Ian, you never know what God will do in your life to bring you back to himself. And that's exactly what happened over a period of time God was working in my life. And I ended up in the, the church next door here, Came in on the Sunday evening thinking the service started at half past six and it started at six o'clock. Derek was leading the worship that night with his accordion and he was he was singing this chorus. Something wonderful happened to me when the Saviour saved my soul. Something glorious happened to me when his spirit took full control. Oil of blessing is falling so free, it's falling on me. I've got the words wrong. But something marvellous happened to me and it's glory in my soul. And as soon as I made that connection, I felt God saying, this is the place. This is the place. And I knew that God had called me here to serve him. I don't know how many years ago that was, but I can remember the joy of my salvation. So it's taken me a while to get to my headings, but here we go. The miracle of conversion. We find havoc happening in the life of Saul of Tarsus. And everywhere he went, he seemed to bring havoc with him. So there's three headings marked by havoc. First of all, havoc, Saul against the church. And then you'll see verses 1 and 2 there. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest, asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. You know, whatever moderation Gamaliel had taught Saul, it seems to have fallen on deaf ears. As far as Saul was concerned, at all costs, the Christians had to be stopped. Saul's point of view was that Christ was a blasphemer, and Christianity was just a cult. Because Jews, the Jews of Nazareth, eh, deemed to be sorry because Jesus of Nazareth, sorry, was deemed to be dead, nothing could be done about him. Christianity, well, according to Saul, that was quite a different matter. The sooner it was dead and buried, the better. After all, according to Jewish law, cursed is everyone who hangs in a tree. On that basis then, Jesus had been cursed of God and Paul, uh, Saul's opinion that he couldn't possibly be the son of God. It was said in, in Saul's unconverted state, the death of a cross, the death of the cross was an impossible thing. But after he came to know the Lord Jesus, it was the most impressive thing thing. 1 Corinthians 1.8 says, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. And here we find this word power we talked about a few weeks ago. It means dynamis or dynamite. The gospel is the power of God. It's the dynamite of God in your life and mind. Notice his meticulous strategy Letters, documents, identification. It didn't matter whether it was men or women. His ruthless pursuit knew no bounds. He was causing havoc against the church. Secondly, I'd like to suggest there was havoc against Saul. In chapter 9, verses 3 and 4 there, it says, as he neared Damascus on his journey, Suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Damascus was reckoned to be around 200 miles from Jerusalem. We would say probably the same distance from here to the Murray coast, up by Elgin or Fenechte, as we often uh, go there from time to time. We would say it was normally about four or five hours drive, depending how many pit stops you take on the way up there and how many coffee shops you decide to stop, to stop in. To walk it, my, I don't fancy that these days. From Jerusalem, well, when we were there, it was 32 degrees C. It was awfully hot. So I guess if you were sensible, you would travel in the evenings, maybe even part of the night um, to keep out of the heat of the day. My daughter did a kilt walk and how many miles is that? Is that 26 miles, the, the kilt walk-ish. Well, the state of her feet was, was terrible. I went into Edinburgh to pick her up and she was, for about two or three days, she was in some state trying to walk. Thankfully, she had a few days holiday and didn't have to go into work, but my goodness, to walk 200 miles, wow. They must have been fit in eight days. They must have been. Whatever time ticked, past. Could have taken five or ten days depending on your pace. I mean I've got a fit but I got one for my birthday so I'm averaging trying to get 10,000 steps a day. Sometimes I can get 20,000 on a good day but imagine having to walk all all that distance. But Saul had plenty of time to rehearse his hatred against these upstart people of the way. Havoc on its high horse was heading for Damascus. Yes. I wonder, even during this time, whether it caused him, the time caused him to reflect on the look on Stephen's face. Right. Or was it suppressed by the scowl of this man, Saul's soul, who was really in the deepest darkness? As he approached Damascus, in sheer determination, it would take nothing less than a miracle to turn the tyrant from his ways. Yet, there was a nail pierced Saviour, one who had conquered death, hell, and the grave, one who rose again on the third day and had ascended to the right hand of his Father in heaven. And he was orchestrating everything. Havoc against Saul. See, Jesus is the only one who could deal with the havoc of the guy on his high horse. And friends, Jesus is still the same today. Whatever state your soul or mine is in right now, Jesus is able and willing to meet with you on the road, whatever degree of havoc you might decide that you are going through right now. He is able to save to the uttermost all who come to God through him seeing he ever lives to make intercession for the transgressor. Glory to God this morning. Suddenly, as he approached um, Damascus, a light from heaven flashed around him. Havoc from heaven. This proud, clever, driven young man fell to the ground. Do you know what? There's only one way when Jesus confronts you, and that's down. Gone is the pride, gone is the arrogance. Gone is the I did it my way. That's the sinner's theme tune. Gone is all that nonsense. When when we come in face to face with the Lord Jesus Christ, he fell to the ground. Secondly, he heard the voice in a very, very personal way. You know, it's wonderful that when we come to know Christ, we're not grandchildren, are we? We're his children. he says to as many as received him gave you the right to be called child of God you're not someone who is in the distance in the background but he calls you into his heart into his his experience into his very life he is a very personal saviour and he comes to us in a lovely way he heard a voice he heard his name Jesus he found you all about this man every step, not only the 200 miles to Damascus, but every single step that he had taken up to that point. And he heard Jesus speak to him very clearly, why do you persecute me? And of course, he says like many, and I trust there'll be some here this morning who are going to ask the same question, who are you, Lord? It's a great place to come to in our lives when we decide that we need to find out Who this Jesus is. Not find out about him, but to find out all about him personally. Who are you, Lord, he asked. And when Jesus asked the disciples this question previously, who do men say that I am? Only Peter, it seems, was able to give the right answer. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. So many still ask that same question today. Who are you, Lord? Some say he's just a good man. Some say that he was mad or bad. But everybody seems to have their own opinion. The answer caused havoc in his soul. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. See, Jesus says, Inasmuch as you have done it to the least of one of these, you have done it unto me. You're a child of God. If you know Christ this morning, you are precious. In his sight. nor anybody that touches has anointed. You're God's this morning. He holds you in the palm of his hand. He knows every hair in your head. Some of us have got more than others. But he knows. He knows every hair. There's not a sparrow falls to the ground. But he knows all about it friend. Don't think that you're remote from God. He loves you. With an everlasting love. This morning. Jesus identifies himself. With his followers, Jesus was not in fact dead, but very much alive. Praise God. His answer even caused havoc among Saul's followers. Meanwhile, Scripture says the men travelling with Saul stood there speechless. The answer caused havoc with their hearing. They heard the sound, but they couldn't see anyone. The answer that Jesus gave caused havoc with their understanding. They did not understand the invisible speaker's words. This havoc from heaven confirmed that the risen Lord Jesus has appeared to Saul. The light he saw was the glory of Christ. The voice he heard was none other than the voice of Christ. And after an epic journey, in a moment of time, suddenly Saul's life was turned upside down. Friends, that is the power of the gospel of Jesus. Only Jesus can take a life and turn it around and cause it to point in entirely the different, a different direction. And he is still doing this even today. Right here in Bowness, right here at Riverview Church this morning. He says, if any man or woman hear my voice and open the door, I will come in. Isn't that a tremendous promise this morning? None refused, but as soon as we open our heart's door, the Lord Jesus will come in. Paul's testimony later on says, Christ took hold of him or seized him, suggesting that Christ arrested Saul before he could arrest any Christians in Damascus. There's an irony in there, isn't there? Yeah. I'm going to stop these Damascus so and so's. I oh, nearly swore them. So and so's. <laughs> I'll fix them. I'll sort them out. But you know, Jesus arrested the one who was sent to arrest the Christians. Some of you here might remember Pastor Magnus Duhl, the big Shetland policeman. Mm-hmm. He was pastor here for a number of years. And he was a gentle giant. He was a giant of a man. And he, he used to have hands like shovels. And whatever he shook your hand, the first time I met him, I had strained my right wrist at work. When I was working with metal work, you know, when I was folding metal, sometimes we didn't quite get the balance right. You could strain your wrist. And my wrist was healing up quite nicely, thank you very much, when I was introduced to Magna Doola. And he, in one stroke, undid all the healing work. <laughs> and when I was driving home from, I think it was in Falkirk that night, I was driving where I could hardly move my right hand. <laughs> oh, Lord! But the big Bobby from Shetland, I wouldn't have liked to have got his hand in my shoulder. He had hands like shovels. One of the miraculous things was he played a mandolin. And he was a great big guy, and he had this mandolin that seemed a tiny wee instrument. And great fat fingers from great big hands. And I used to wonder, how can he form a cord when he's got these great big fingers? But he did. And he loved to worship the Lord. He was a gentle giant. But my if you got his hand on your shoulder and said, mate, you've been nicked, <laughs> then you, you know you would know all about it. Arrested by Christ. Saul who had previously expected to enter Damascus in the fullness of his pride and prowess as a self-confident opponent of Christ was actually led by the hand into it, humbled and blinded, a captive of the very Christ he had opposed. Praise God. I wonder if there's any here this morning who want to be captive, a captive of Christ. When he ascended on high, Scripture says he led captivity captive. I wonder if you are prepared this morning to allow the Lord Jesus Christ to arrest you in your life this morning. To lay his hand upon you. One of the old choruses come back to me right now. So glad he laid his hand on me. So glad he laid his hand on me. Once I was blind, but now I see Jesus laid his hand on me, arrested for Christ on the, the road perhaps marked by havoc in our lives, going our own way, doing our own thing, and yet the wonderful love of God through Christ Jesus is able to come along and arrest us in the middle of our havoc. The havoc, just to move on, um, produced helpful direction. In verse 6 it says, Now, Get up and go into the city and you'll be told what you must do. It's a great thing when Jesus comes into a life, there's nothing like it. It's only the beginning and suddenly we find he is directing our paths. He is showing us the way in which we should live. It's just the start of a tremendous adventure with Christ. God's word says, I has not seen, neither ear heard. Neither has it entered the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those who love him. But he has revealed them unto us by his spirit. The moment we put our hand into the hand of Christ, then we are not our own. We have been bought with a price and we are then directed by the power of his Holy Spirit. Havoc, Saul against the church. Havoc, heavens against Saul. And then lastly, Havoc caused by Saul's reputation. In verses 13 and 14. But the Lord said to Ananias, go. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Israel. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call upon your name. The rumors were flying thick and fast. Do you know, I remember when I gave my life to Christ, even beforehand, the devil was saying to me, what will folk think? If you accept, you'll be one of them Jesus freaks. Amen. (laughs) And you're going to have to go to work on Monday morning. And you're going to have to face up to all these guys that, that really know you. They know what you're like, Ian. The rumors were flying thick and fast. And used to write some awful things in the men's toilets at the factory where I worked. I think one of my nicknames was Elijah, <laughs> and amongst other things that are unmentionable. But the words soon got out, and some of them said, I'll give you a wee while, Ian. It'll just be a fad. You'll be there the day and gone in the morning. You'll be back to your old ways. But thank God, here we are, still all these years later. God has been faithful in my life. And I thank him for it. Yeah. You know, when we were at the funeral with dad this week, we were considering that. You know, I, I, I don't want to pro- promote myself here, it's the grace of God in my life. Let's make that clear. I came to know Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior through a friend at work. My father, shortly after, rededicated his life to Jesus. My mum came to know Christ. Andrew came to know the Lord Jesus. Jeanette, My sister came to know the Lord Jesus and we had the joy of leading Alec, my older brother, back to the Lord um, this year. Only Gordon is left. So of a family of mum and dad and five kids, there's only one that is still not back to Christ. I keep saying to my dad, keep praying, keep praying. God's no finished with us yet. So don't give up on God. He is faithful and he will do what he has promised he would do. The rumours were flying thick and fast. Ananias, you could see, was obviously a bit concerned. Isn't he, Saul, the man who caused havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on this name Jesus? And you see, Ananias was a lovely guy. He was minding his own business, but he was a disciple. You know, when you become a disciple of Jesus, you've got to... You've got to be ready. There's going to be a few changes. And some of the few changes are going to be quite big. In fact, God might even come to you through the night when you're in your bed and say, Raymond, I've got a wee job for you today in the morning. And you might not like to hear what he's saying to you. And Ananias was exactly the same. He says... And I don't know if Ananias got his pencil and his bit of paper. I better get this. I better write this down. So he says, go to the house of Judas in straight, straight. You can imagine him going, well, I've got that, I've got that. Straight, straight. And ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. What? <laughs> ask for a man <laughs> from Tarsus named Saul? And you know something, there's a lovely, lovely thought here. And the Lord tells Ananias, for he is praying. Isn't that beautiful? And this is to encourage every one of us here that sometimes when you think, does God really hear me when I'm praying? Jesus could tell Ananias, you know what? Saul's praying. The one that was a tyrant, the one that was causing havoc, suddenly is on his knees crying out to God. And he's he's trying to reassure Ananias (laughs) He says, the rogue's praying, Ananias. He's praying, he's seeking seeking my face. Jesus notices all right when you or I lift our voices to God in prayer, perhaps silent, maybe loud, but he doesn't miss that moment when you open up your heart to him and pray. In the 80s, John McEnroe eh, was another rogue uh, on the tennis courts, particularly at Wimbledon. And in Eugene Peterson's version of this scripture, the message, Ananias protests, Master, you cannot be serious. <laughs> Master, you cannot be serious. And he starts to speak with the Lord. You know, the Lord doesn't faze face when we talk to him like that. You know, sometimes we've got issues. It's the secret place is the right place. Not in the public service, thankfully. But sometimes we have to say, Lord, I didn't understand this. And sometimes folk have waved their fist at God in anger. I don't get this, God. What's going on here? And he's no fazed by that. He's no surprised. He is touched with all the feelings of our infirmities. Master, you can't be serious. Everybody's talking about this man. The terrible things he's been doing, his reign of terror against your people in Jerusalem. And now he's shown up here with authority. There's another word for the other word authority we're looking at recently. And it's exousia, which is permission. He has turned up here, he says, with permission to arrest all who call upon your name. And to the havoc caused by past life of Saul comes a lovely butt from the Lord. And the Lord says to him, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles. And at last, Ananias, he, he bent his will to the will of his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. How many times have we been there, folks? well I won't be doing that Lord and then gradually God by his grace comes to us, sometimes it's a dream sometimes it's a vision, sometimes it's the preached word, sometimes it's something we've read, it leaps out of the Bible and speaks to our heart and we have to say yes Lord, I need to yield to your authority, to your power And Ananias placed his hands and saw he prayed. He, he, He saw him healed and he was filled with the Holy Spirit. Talk about a quick work, my goodness. And something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up, he was baptized and regained his strength. Thank God. Your experience and mine not be as dramatic as Saul's. But our conversion is just as much a miracle as his. Our lifestyle may not be filled with the havoc of souls. But Jesus still hears the cry of every humble heart. He is still in the business of calling men and women out of darkness into his marvelous light. And he is doing it right here, right now in this place. He talked about significant suddenlies and into the havoc of Saul's life there came a light from heaven. Into the havoc of Saul's life there came a call from Jesus and into the havoc of Saul's life there came a changed life. I wonder if there's any here this morning who need to acknowledge that perhaps this day of all days God wants to come in to your life. He wants to shine his glory, the glory of his gospel into your life and mine this morning. I'm going to close with Paul's words. He could say later on, once he had changed, his name changed from Saul to Paul in due course. And in 1 Timothy 15, he could say these words. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am worst. You might not feel you're the worst sinner that ever walked the face of the earth. But he says, for that very reason, I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Father God, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you, Lord God, that you are in the business of changing men and women's lives. We just, Lord, cry unto you that should there be any here this morning who need to make that decision of decisions of, Lord, turning away from their sins and accepting Christ and his gift of eternal life. Father, may your grace move amongst us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.